Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Time to talk about the best new books for giving and receiving during the holiday season. Today, we're talking about books for grown-ups, and on Wednesday, we will find out about the best new books for kids. Jan Weissmiller and Tim Budd of Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City are back with their lists. Hello, Jan. Hello, Charity. And hello, Tim. <laughs> Good morning. And we have a newbie on this year's show, Rachel Mansman. McKenney, author of The Butterfly Effect, this year's All Iowa Reads book. She is also a podcaster and a voracious reader, among other things. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Charity. Thank you so much for being here. And of course, we will be publishing these lists on our website, iowapublicradio.org, this week. But it is not a bad idea to have a pen standing by because I know people want to take action immediately when they find out about books they want to buy. We're going to start the hour with fiction. And of course, we will take turns here. But Rachel, since you're new, why don't you go first and tell us about your first fiction pick? Absolutely. All right. So The Shore by Katie Rundy is a family drama set in the last months of a man's life as he dies from brain cancer. But it's told from the perspective of his wife and two daughters that that he leaves behind. So the Dunn family, they run a bunch of rental homes on the New Jersey shore, and they've been stretched thin by the diagnosis. So the mother has been finding solace in online chat rooms without knowing that one of her daughters is posing as someone else in that chat room to get to know her better. There is anger and a summer romance, but above all, Rendy's book shows the beautiful truth of a family trying to love one another. So this is perfect for Emma Straub fans or as a hug of a gift from mothers to daughters or vice versa. All right. It sounds like a perfect read for this time of year, too, since we all are thinking about family (laughs) matters a lot during (laughs) December and and even beyond. The Shore by Katie Rundy. Thank you, Rachel. And Jan, why don't you go next? Well, I'll have um, the sea in my book. It's called Lucy by the Sea, so we have sea and shore. But anyway, um, Lucy by the Sea is by Elizabeth Strout, and she um, she has a series of books that feature Olive Kittredge and a series of books that feature Lucy Barton. <clears throat> and Lucy Barton is in her mid-60s. She's a quite successful novelist. She <clears throat> was, was She was born in abject poverty in rural Illinois. She grew up in the 50, 60s, probably, with not even food. I mean, it's, it was it was really bleak, <clears throat> and um, and so she is. That's always sort of an underlying subject in all the Lucy Barton books, although it's not the subject. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, she reflects on it as <clears throat> as her current life forces her to reflect on it. But in Lucy by the Sea is set in the pandemic and she her her first husband from whom from whom she's divorced, her her second husband with whom she was very much in love has recently died. She has always been reasonably friendly with her first husband who's also the father of their two children. And he's a parasitologist and so he understands in February of 2020 that this is not good. And he says, Lucy, I'm getting you out of Manhattan. Yours is the life I want to save. And they go to rural Maine. They go to Crosby, Maine. And um, 
where they basically know no one, although she meets a man who has re- who has read her book and had the same kind of childhood that she had. <clears throat> and he's he's married, and it's not a romance, but they become friends, and it's a really amazing friendship. And she becomes friends with other... I mean, she she can hardly have friendships because it's the part of the pandemic when you can't have any kind of social life at all, but she walks every day. She walks... Um, 10,000 steps every day. I was really jealous. <laughs> 5,000 in the morning and 5,000 later. And, and on some of these walks, she's with this man who's read her book and um, and a woman who works in a, a nursing home who has completely different politics than hers. And so she's <clears throat> so Lucy is really able to sort of forge these bonds with people that have very different viewpoints than hers, as do her siblings, who she keeps in touch with. They also are rural Americans that, that, you know, and they're more uh, biting when they talk to her, obviously, than the the friends that she meets in Maine. But it's, it's a very, it's a very moving book. And it really just is about those two years. But there's a lot of reflection um, uh, that she does on, on both her childhood, on these relationships that she has in Maine, on the ongoing relationship with her ex-husband, on the lives of her daughters that are being incredibly affected by the pandemic. Um, anyway, I, I recommend it highly. So <clears throat> do you feel like this is a book that you could read if you haven't read the other Lucy Barton books? Yeah, I tell all my customers that, <clears throat> that the O. William, the book that came out you know, only a couple of years before mm-hmm. – Lucy by the Sea also features Lucy and William, and William was never much of a character. I mean, he he makes a, a very small appearance in um, My Name is Lucy Barton. <clears throat> and it might be slightly better to read O. William first, but I, I don't think it matters. I just, in fact, I just have had a number of people that read Lucy by the Sea first and then read O. William. And All so, right. yeah. Nice. And <clears throat> did it feel a little therapeutic after getting through the pandemic mostly yourself and, and looking back on that time? Or well, I mean, I I feel as have everybody I've talked to that's read it how shocked I was at how how I'd forgotten the emotional oh, interesting intensity of the first few months. Interesting, we we forget <laughs> things so fast. Lucy by the Sea by Elizabeth Strout and Tim. It's your turn. Um, the first one I'll talk about is a novel called The Whalebone Theater by Joanna Quinn. Uh, Joanna Quinn is an English woman. This is her first novel. And it spans, uh, follows the Seagrave family from 1919 to 1945. They are sort of landed gentry. It's an unconventional family. And we follow them from the Jazz Age through uh, World War II and then finish with how much that war has changed their family life. So it's historical fiction, I think, that's very fine because the characters are amazing. Our, Our main character, Christabel, is... Uh, is a tomboy adventurer. They have the free range of the countryside. So she and her her sort of two siblings, I don't want to give anything away, but she has two siblings that aren't really siblings, um, more like cousins. Um, and uh, one day uh, in 1928, a, a whale beaches um, on their property as they're right there on the coast. And uh, after it decays, they take the ribcage of the of the whale and make a theater. Um, it's a great novel, just as far as historical fiction goes, because of the characters and the events. And it is a, a wonderfully eccentric family. And also, it's the spirit of play in young people, the imagination, uh, because they're out in the country with nothing else to put on plays inside the ribcage of a whale. And two of those siblings, because of their 
imaginative and play acting backgrounds go on to be undercover agents during World War II embedded in France. Um, so it's interesting that the kind of games you play as a child might lead you to some sort of military career, perhaps. Um, and I will say that her style of writing is so unique. It's almost like embroidery, these pinpointed sentences that give you so much insight in such a little space that it's a really a wonderful read for fans of Downton Abbey or British television, uh, a great gift for um, anybody who wants a good uh, historical fiction over the holidays right. and over 500 and some pages. So it, <laughs> you, you need to have a little time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The Whalebone Theater by Joanna Quinn. And all of these sound like exactly what I want during this cold weather just to, to snuggle down with. I think I'm more influenced by the weather. Than, I'm like, <laughs> I just need to take all of December off and sit home and read. Uh, Rachel, your next pick. All right. So I have another historical fiction to recommend, but very different setting and very different time period. So in Four Treasures of the Sky by Jenny Tingwei-Zan, Dayu is a young girl from China who has been sort of self-trained while she is working as a janitor at a calligraphy school. So she falls deeply in love with language. But one day when she's out running errands for the school, she is kidnapped at the fish market and sent across the ocean. On the journey, she's forced to learn English. So on the other side of the ocean is a world where Chinese immigrants have built railroads and work in mines, but they do not have any respect. So Dayu is taken to a brothel, but her contract is bought out by someone who has no interest in her in that way, but is more interested in her English language skills. She ends up posing as a man in a small town in Idaho. And let's just say things get very interesting from there. (laughs) It's wow. a really beautiful <laughs> historical novel. It's it's a tender coming-of-age story, and it's set in an Old West that we typically don't get to see. So I definitely recommend putting this one on the radar for someone who reads mostly stories that are, are a little bit more modern. I think this is a great Old West tale with a different spin. Four Treasures of the Sky by Jenny Tingwei Zhang. And Jan, you've got two minutes. This will be a challenge, but what's your next pick? Well, if I've only got two minutes, then I'm going to talk about um, Marigold and Rose, which is called Marigold and Rose of Fiction by Louise Gluck. And Louise Gluck is the uh, Nobel Prize laureate in in poetry from about two years ago. And she's American. She was born in 1943. Her her poetry is very... um, self-absorbed, I guess I would say, but that that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And um and this <clears throat> this book is <clears throat> very short, very lovely. It's it's um Marigold and Rose are two twin girls who are too young to speak, but they speak in this book throughout the book. And um it, it I don't know if you ever read the anyone has ever read the original Mary Poppins books where mm-hmm. there's a character Michael that's also Mary Poppins understands his his baby talk, which is not speech. And so I was a little reminded of that, and I wondered if she had read that. But it's also... It's it's also very much what it's like to imagine, and and the obviously she is the grandmother, and I think she does have twin grandchildren, and and I think, um, I think, so so there is a there is a lot that's imagined through the voices of Marigold and Rose about both the inner lives of the parents and the grandmother. Oh, nice. Well, that sounds <laughs> absolutely lovely. Uh, Marigold and Rose, which is this is Louise Gluck's first novel, right? Right. She's, she, you, she was the last poet you would ever think would write fiction. 
and here here we are. Marigold and Rose, a novel by Louise Gluck. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We are talking about the best new books for giving and receiving this holiday season. Today we're focusing on books for grown-ups. And with me, Jan Weissmiller and Tim Budd of Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City. Rachel Mans McKenney is also here. She's author of The Butterfly Effect, this year's All Iowa Reads book, and she is also a podcaster and voracious reader. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll talk about more fiction picks for your list, and then we'll talk about nonfiction a little later on as well. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about the best new books for giving and receiving this holiday season. Today, we're focusing on books for grown-ups, so the books you might want on your list, your wish list this season. On Wednesday, we'll talk about the best new books for kids. Jan Weissmiller and Tim Budd of Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City are here with me, along with Rachel Mans McKenney, author of The Butterfly Effect. And Tim... It's your turn again, right, for uh, your I, next fiction pick? I believe so. Um, my next pick is is the new novel by Simon Van Bowie, one of my favorite writers. He's just a total mm-hmm. craftsman at, at writing. And it's called The Presence of Absence, which is a thought-provoking title in and of itself. And for me, this is the best novel to come out of the pandemic. It is the story of Max Little, who was an author who was dying of a terminal illness, who is in his hospital bed, and he is writing his journals of the last few months of his life. Um, It is, I think, Van Bowie's most philosophical novel to date, and he does credit C.S. Lewis and Jacques Derrida a little bit in the acknowledgments in the back. It is not a depressing novel, which you might think it would be, but it is sad, and it sort of celebrates or acknowledges those cycles of our life, birth, death, uh, moving on, um, and he always tells these stories in the most beautiful, heartwarming, affirming ways. So uh, coming out of the pandemic and so much loss, uh, I just thought it was so distilled at only 160 pages. You can read this in one sitting, and it will just uh, make you feel better about life in general. It, it is a love story and a, and a death story and a rebirth story all at the same time. So I, it's really wonderful. All right. Anything that can make us feel better about life in general. <laughs> right, that right, sounds right. – a lot of my favorite books don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the Presence of Absence by Simon Van Bowie. And that brings us back to you, Rachel. Okay. Now for something completely different. Um, I cannot claim to love wrestling, <laughs> but Go Home Ricky by Gene Kwok made me love books about the subject. So after years as a semi-pro wrestler, as a rake character, uh, the main character Ricky sustains a major injury against a character named Johnny America. 
in a match right before he can make it big. So he's forced to the sidelines and suddenly his problems have become way bigger as he finally has time to think about them. So he decides to start a journey to find the father he never knew. So part of this is a road trip novel. It's a journey to find his father and his identity, both personal and national. He believes his father to be Native American. So this book is alternatively laugh-out-loud funny and very sincere. It's Kwok's debut novel, and he's a professor of creative writing at the University of Nebraska-Omaha. So there's even uh, a lot of settings in Omaha that you would definitely recognize from our friends right across the river. So it's short, propulsive chapters, very funny. If you love quirky fiction, uh, a, a fresh new literary voice, I would say definitely Go Home, Ricky by Jean Kwok. And this one just made my to give to someone else list. So thank you. <laughs> that sounds perfect. <laughs> Rachel, thank you. Go Home, Ricky by Jean Kwok, and then I can borrow it back. Jan, what's next on your list? Well, I think I'll talk next about Elizabeth McCracken's The Hero of This Book. And... Um, she calls it a novel, even though it reads very much like a memoir. And so there is a little bit of discussion in the book about what uh, what makes a novel a novel and a memoir a memoir. And um, I don't think it's too overbearing, though, that, that discussion. But the book is really about or is about um, the narrator's dealing with her mother's death. And, and, um, and the mother had been uh, very eccentric, very vivid. And very, very imp- – well, she, she was very close. They had a very close relationship. And so the, the narrator goes to London after – you know, pretty much right after her mother has died because it was her mother's favorite city. And she just, you know, stays for a week, walks the streets, goes to the theater, goes to restaurants, goes to museums, and remembers conversations with her mother. As, and And – sort of at the same time is still having to deal with through, you know, texting and stuff, the um, the stuff that her parents left behind. Yeah. They had this huge house and they were basically hoarders. And, <laughs> and that, that was part of their eccentricity. But Elizabeth McCracken is just a, a wonderful writer in everything she writes. I mean, she has one other memoir, which is 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 quite sad but she's never only sad. <clears throat> she's really good at she's really good at mixing humor and sadness. She's very funny. And um and and if this is her mother and it is a memoir, you can understand where she got her sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll never we'll never truly know, right? <laughs> right. All right, the hero of this book by Elizabeth McCracken and Tim, we're back to you. Um, I'm going to kind of break the rules a little bit and talk about a trilogy called the Devabad Trilogy. This does feel like cheating, but go ahead. Okay, by S.A. Chakraborty. And I only mention the whole trilogy uh, just because it's I read it all. in. It, it's all published now in paperback. Uh, the last installment came out in 21. Um, the City of Brass, The Kingdom of Popper, and The Empire of Gold. And the reason I mm-hmm. fell in love with this, this is totally escapist epic fantasy, lots of magic, but it's all based in the Middle East. Um, and we're dealing with jinns and and parries or fairies, as they would call them. It is just so exotic in its detail of spices and, and colors and uh, the world of this magic. And there is not a single white character in this book. Um, I was just transported because I just had not – she bases a lot of this on Middle Eastern mythology and uh, perhaps some Islamic um, uh, religious beliefs. Uh, it is just 
the most fascinating escapist trilogy. So for those Game of Thrones fans and the Lord of the Rings who need the next big epic trilogy to read, uh, I would say it's a genuine escape. And the ending of this trilogy I was reading had me in tears. Mm -hmm. It is just the characters are so compelling. The heroine, Nari, who is a con artist living on the streets of Cairo, while Napoleon's soldiers are all over Egypt, um, unwittingly summons up a jinn warrior. Um, And that warrior says, how can you do this to me? And I must take you back to this magical kingdom and figure out who you are. And her whole life changes. But it's interesting to see a con artist in a palace, a magical palace, eyeing up the size of the rubies and the diamonds on the wall when she really should be thinking about how she's going to keep her head on her neck. Um, So, uh, But if you like court intrigue and magic uh, and um, adventure and love stories, this is definitely at over, you know, 1,500 pages for the trilogy. Buckle down and enjoy your winter break. Right, the the (laughs) gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) All right, that is the City of Brass trilogy. It's not the City of Brass trilogy. It's the Devabad trilogy. Devabad trilogy. Right, including the City of Brass, the Kingdom of Copper, and the Empire of Gold by S.A. Chakrabarty. And it is your turn next, Rachel. I cannot think of a better follow-up to that because my book deals very succinctly with silver, which I think is one of the only metals you didn't mention. (laughs) So so how I like to describe um, Babel and arcane history by R.F. Kuang is it's like if Dickens were an anti-colonialist fantasy novel. So it's perfect for fantasy or language lovers. Um, The main character, Robin Swift, is orphaned in Canton and brought to London by a very mysterious professor of language. Uh, In London, he's trained up in English, Latin, Greek, and uh, Mandarin. And he's basically turned into this perfect translation machine uh, so that he can attend Oxford's Institute of Translation, which is called Babel. It's clear that there is actual magic in languages and the ability to translate them, and they do that through silver work. This power, however, is only given to the already powerful, and it seems like it's about to be sent uh, to start the opium war in Robin's homeland. So this book is pure, dark academia. There are secret societies, a satisfying magic system, betrayal, and violence. So if you loved the secret history or you're someone who thinks word etymology is really interesting, this book will make you feel very smart. It's absolutely delicious. All right, Babel, an arcane history by R.F. Kuang. And Jan, we're back to you. Well, I'm going to talk about um, The Book of Goose by Eun Lee. And Eun Lee is, um, she's a Chinese-American. She came to Iowa City, actually, from China when she was about 20 to study epidemiology and ended up writing. And... Is, now is is very acclaimed and um, the head of creative writing at Princeton. And her new book is called The Book of Goose, and it is about two friends who are French. They were they were born in a French village in the 1950s. Well, they're growing up in a French village in the 1950s, so they may have actually been born in the late 40s, Agnes and Fabienne. And Agnes has been allowed to go to school and Fabienne not. And so Fabienne is raising farm animals uh, you know, doing farm work on her family's small land and is feral, but sort of a feral child, but very, very smart. And she completely captures Agnes's imagination. And it, and and she, they, they're sort of, they're, they are like young girls can be when they're 11 or 12. Their whole world is wrapped up in their friendship. And <clears throat> Fabienne decides that they should write a book about 
to let the world know what it is like to be them. And so Fabian dictates it and Agnes writes it. And then they get this post, this widowed postmaster in town uh, to help them edit it. And he sends it to a, a publisher and in Paris... And they bring Agnes, the publisher thinks it's wonderful, and they bring Agnes to Paris, and they want to promote her as this, you know, rural genius, this child genius. And so she is sent to a boarding school where she has an evil headmistress and and <clears throat> asked to write more, which she really can't do without Fabian. Right. <laughs> and so it's a really... Um, it's an interesting story, and uh, and and it is being told from retrospect. Um, Agnes is actually telling this tale from America, where she has come and is married and is twenty-seven years old. Oh, that mm. sounds fascinating! The Book of Goose by Yuan Lee. Yes. All right. And Tim, back to you. And we, we're we going to pick up the pace here a little bit sure. so we get to these non or nonfiction picks as well. What's um, your next fiction? My next pick is a mystery called Shutter, S-H-U-T-T-E-R, like a camera shutter, by Ramona Emerson. Uh, she's a, a member of the Diné tribe. This is her first novel. Uh, her background is primarily in filmmaking. Uh, it's the story of Rita, who is a forensic photographer with the Albuquerque Police Department, who... Uh, happens to see ghosts. So when she's taking photos of crime scenes, sometimes the murder victims appear to her to offer up clues, to point out things that the police might have missed. And they love her in the police department because she's so good at helping them solve some of these crimes. Well, um, on one murder scene, there was a ghost who they think is a suicide, who is not a suicide, and who badgers her so much the ghost badgers the photographer, Rita, who can see her, into helping her solve this crime so that she is um, she's not uh, called a suicide. What I loved about this book is, you know, uh, you don't often see uh, paranormal police procedurals are always great. But the backstory of Rita, the main character, as she grew up on the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico, her grandmother making her first pinhole camera for her. If you're a camera buff, you'll love it. If you're into police procedurals, you'll love it. If you like ghost stories, you've got something else. And I will say it is a pulse-pounding thriller towards the end. So anybody who's looking for a little something different, um, I, I think it's a really great uh, divergence from the typical yeah. police mystery. Something different that you probably can't put down. No, I read it in one day. <laughs> it's, it's pretty thrilling. All right. Shudder by Ramona Emerson. And back to you, Rachel. Okay. So if that kind of scariness is not your vibe. Uh, I think that cuddling up under a blanket and getting lost in a romance novel is a perfect antidote. <laughs> so Do You Take This Man by Denise Williams is one of my favorite romance novels of the year. So the main character is a divorce lawyer, and she develops a side habit of officiating weddings, but that throws her directly into the path of an event planner who's extremely annoying, but also, of course, incredibly attractive. <laughs> What I love about this book is that Denise Williams has this incredible sense of banter that just reads, you know, so naturally, but also makes you laugh out loud. It's got everything good about a good enemies to lovers story. And I rooted really hard for the characters. So for a reader who needs a little heat this December, I definitely recommend Do You Take This Man? All right. Great recommendation for us <laughs> yes. to, to pass along. <laughs> Do You Take This Man by Denise Williams. And back to you, Jan. Well, I'm going to talk about something that's 
not funny and maybe maybe romantic, but in a dark way. <laughs> and it's, um, it's I would expect <laughs> nothing less. <laughs> and it's it's the Slow Worms song by Andrew Miller. And Andrew Miller is um, a British novelist who's who writes mostly historical fiction. My readers of Hilary Mantel love him, and this is the first uh, first one of his novels that I've read. And it takes place it's it takes place in the <clears throat> Uh, maybe around 2010, and the the narrator it's it's an epistolatory novel. It's a letter that the narrator is writing to his daughter that he really didn't raise, and they're starting to have a relationship. The daughter is 26, and he's 52, and he was in um, the British Army during the Troubles, and was was in Northern Ireland, and was involved in something that that has haunted him and basically ruined his life, actually. And he's writing this letter to his daughter to try to talk about it. And um, and in the course of that, he, he describes everything to her. I mean, everything intersects with this incident in Northern Ireland w- when he was 20. And um, so... So you get he was his mother had also died. The narrator's mother had also died when he was young, and he was an only child. And his father is sort of the the true heart of the story, and and a Quaker and a conscientious objector that had to watch his son enlist in the army, and handled it because he has the the father has the true character of a Quaker and a conscientious objector, which is you you know you don't fight. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's 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 intense. Uh, it certainly brings the um, the that era in in Irish history um, to bear. It reminded me a little of the the nonfiction books say nothing that uh, about Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. It's maybe four or five years old. He he's a wonderful writer, Andrew Miller. All right, the Slow Worms song by Andrew Miller in. A minute. Can you tell us about your final fiction pick, Tim? I'll I'll try. It's called We Spread by Ian Reid. And Ian uses the Celtic spelling of Ian, so it's I-A-I-N-R-E-I-D, Reid. This follows Penny, who is a, a widow living on her own in the same apartment she's been in for 50 years. She's about 90, having trouble with memory. She has a terrible fall, and it, she's put into a long-term residence assistance care. At first, she thrives there, meeting uh, other people of her age and having meals and, and such. But she begins she begins to think that something more sinister is happening at the nursing home. And the beauty of this book and of his writing is that you're not really sure if there is something up or if Penny is just falling into deeper and deeper into dementia. So it's I would call it a psychological thriller possibly even borderline horror, because what's scarier than old age? Um, so it, it is, uh, it's a very dark book, a, a, a very spooky book, but man, oh man, this guy can tell a story. So it, it's worth checking out if you want something uh, a little on the dark side. All right. Yeah. Good job, Tim. We're going to take a break. <laughs> we spread by Ian Reed, and we will be back in just a moment. We'll talk about nonfiction when we come back with our readers today. We're talking about books for grownups today. We'll talk about the best new books for kids on Wednesday. This is Talk of Iowa. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IOPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about the best new books for giving and receiving this holiday season. With me, Jan Weissmiller and Tim Budd of Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City. Rachel Manns McKenney is also here, author of The Butterfly Effect, this year's All Iowa Reads book. And she reads a lot of books. What, 250 books this year so far, Rachel? Is that what I saw? About <laughs> 220 so far. Okay, this year. 220. Oh that's that's incredible. <laughs> so, all right, let's uh, shift gears and talk about nonfiction books. Rachel, I'll let you go first again. What would you like to talk about? Okay, so part medical mystery and part cultural criticism, Alyssa Bassist's hysterical tracks her three year journey. First, she has these mysterious symptoms, including selective mutism. She visits 20 medical professors professionals who refuse to hear her concerns, and finally she gets an answer. Tying the narrative together is the wider concern of not being listened to, especially by women, and of a voice lost and found. Bassist is a humorist, and so she takes what could be an incredibly depressing topic, and with her incentive eye to detail, really makes it a very readable and interesting book. Her memoir makes you laugh and angry in equal measures. So um, it's perfect for the I'd say the burned out feminist in your life <laughs> and the stories of Me Too and publishing will also be really interesting if you know any writers or are a writer yourself. All right. Hysterical, a memoir by Alyssa Bassist and Jan, you're up next with your first nonfiction pick. Well, I'm going to talk about a book by um, by Peter Orner, and he is um, a graduate of the workshop and <clears throat> normally writes fiction. And this is nonfiction, and it's called Still No Word From You and uh, subtitled Notes in the Margin. He teaches at Dartmouth, and during the pandemic, he rented um, a warehouse, I think, in Vermont, close to New Hampshire, I mean, close to and went there every day because his kids were at home and he couldn't, you know, concentrate. Couldn't work, and, sure. And, yeah. um, and, and the world was what it was during that time. And, and so he was just reading and meditating. And then he started writing these essays sort of in response to things that he was reading. And much of what he was reading was based on – he was reading things from people that he had known as well as people that he had not known, like James Salter and – but the the narr- the narrative that comes through that is that is uh, s- segmented or in fragmented is really about his his family and it's very interesting. I mean, he was he was raised in a Chicago suburb. His parents were divorced when he was oh maybe ten, and um, he was very close to his mother. But there are, are, are memories from early on in their marriage and these and and from his grandparents' lives too. And the, the title, Still No Word From You, comes from letters that he found that his grandfather had written. His grandfather, who was married and then went to World War II, wrote to his grandmother f- from um, from Japan. And the grandmother, for some reason, wasn't writing back. And and so each letter would end with still no word from you. Mm. And that's sort of an echo of the fact that he is not going to be able to hear back from these people that he's writing towards uh, often in this book because they right. aren't alive. But um, but but it's almost like he's discovering his own childhood as he's writing. It's really, really beautiful. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Still No Word From You by Peter Orner. And Tim, you're up. Um, my first nonfiction pick would be The Mosquito Bowl, 
A Game of Life and Death in World War II by Buzz Bissinger. People will know the author's name. He's the author of Friday Night Lights, which became a big book and then a TV show. This is uh, on your list for the for the man uh, who likes to read military history or is into football. Um, Buzz Bissinger looks at there were there were two Marine regiments stationed on Guadalcanal waiting to go uh, forward in the invasion of Okinawa, and they were there for several months training. The Marine regiments got to be bragging about who had the better football players, and so they stage a game on Christmas Eve 1944 to sort of boost morale. It was broadcast over the military network, um, and they had a surprising roster of these really famous college athletes. Five were team captains. Three were All-American. They played this sort of ad hoc game on Christmas Eve. And then six months later, many of those men are dead because mm. of the Battle of Okinawa. It made me think of Niall Kinnick quite a bit while I was reading this. He spends a lot of time looking at the players' lives, their families, many who were first-generation immigrants or second-generation immigrants. And it's really a tribute to uh, sports in general and, and how it creates leaders and bonding moments, uh, that the greatest generation – and he follows their lives after the battle, too. It was so incredibly moving uh, because the bulk of the book is spent on Okinawa. And you get to know these men so well. Um, and even their mothers and girlfriends back home in the letters. And he spent quite a bit of time talking to families. And I found it much more moving than I thought. But it is perfect for that guy on your list that you're always saying, I don't know what I should get for them. Uh, so the Mosquito Bowl is, is would be my choice for okay. that. And, and it sounds like you give it to him and then borrow it back. Right, too, right. right. It's right. A, it, was, it was, I will say it had a much more of an impact on me than I thought it would. Nice. So so go into it with an open mind. Good really to be surprised. Yeah. The Mosquito Bowl, A Game of Life and Death in World War II by Buzz Bissinger. And back to you, Rachel. All right. So if Educated was a book that shook you a few years ago, I would suggest that you pick up Acceptance by Emmy Neatfield. So like Educated, it tracks one woman's journey out of less than ideal situations into the promise of education. So Emmy's journey weaves in and out of so many situations. First, her mother is a hoarder and she is removed from that situation and put into foster care. Um, She is in and out of mental health struggles And finally, she is shoved into the hypocrisy of elite institutions that she once held on such a high pedestal. You know, it's really hard to think of a memoir where I was so concerned for the author, even though I knew that because the book existed, she made it out on the other side. It's really an ideal book club read. There's so much meat here for discussion. So pick it up for somebody who you think loves to have those in-depth conversations and make sure you share that experience with them. Wonderful. Acceptance, a memoir by Emmy Neatfield. And back to you, Jan. Well, I'm going to talk about um, In Praise of Good Bookstores by Jeff Deutsch. And um, when I do love good bookstores, we do love good bookstores. But when um, when this book came, well, actually, he sent me a copy of it before it came out. And I was, you know, I was used to all these books that were just sort of you know, idolizing bookstores and, and, um, and there wasn't a lot of content in them. <clears throat> this book is completely different. Jeff Deutsch is, uh, the, he runs the seminary co-op, the, the University of Chicago Seminary Co-op Bookstore, which is probably, to my mind, I mean, there's Powell's and there's <clears throat> in Portland, which is huge. And there is a seminary co-op, which has everything you'd want. <laughs> and and uh, Jeff Deutsch um, uh, grew up in He's probably in his 50s. He grew up in uh, New York, 
and didn't go to college. He, he dropped out after one semester, just like Bob Dylan, who he loves, <laughs> and, um, and has been working in bookstores sin- ever since. And, <clears throat> and he says that in the University of Chicago Seminary Co-op, he has a big table, and we have a big table in Prairie Lights with all the new, you know, we've always had this big, right. huge table in the front of Prairie Lights with all the new books. His book has, you know, ep- his table has Epictetus and Dante and, <clears throat> you know, uh, in, <clears throat> I mean, I could go on, but <laughs> <clears throat> interspersed with all the new books. And that's exactly what this book is like. I mean, I couldn't believe he could write a book that, that included philosophy and poetry. He loves Whitman. He loves Wallace, he loves Wallace Stevens. But he can just call on them when he needs them to describe what reading and browsing and um, history, what all these things are and how they come together in a bookstore. Yeah. I just really, oh, really recommend this that book. That sounds awesome. In Praise of Good Bookstores mm-hmm. by Jeff Deutsch. And all right, we're, we are going to run out of time because we always do. And since you just mentioned Bob Dylan... Jan, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of, of your um, your picks that relate to Bob Dylan? I know you are a huge Bob Dylan fan. Yeah, he, I, I am, and I always will be. And, <laughs> and uh, there's a new book by Grail Marcus, and Grail Marcus is a wonderful music critic. And it's called uh, Folk Music, a Bob Dylan biography and seven songs, and it doesn't really try to talk about Bob Dylan's life at all. It only talks about, you know, Blowing in the Wind and the Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll and the essay on Desolation Row. I can't get it out of my head. I mean, I read this book, you know, probably two months ago, and I feel like I get up every morning and Desolation Row is in my head still <clears throat> because that essay is just, it's an unbelievable essay. And, um, and, and it just makes clear how, I mean, I don't think there's any artist that, that I can imagine that could have been so in sync with the zeitgeist as Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I remember how excited you were when he won the, uh, the Nobel Prize for Literature. So. And there, there's another book, too, The Philosophy of Modern oh, Song. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Dylan has a book. Okay. called The Philosophy of Modern Song. And he goes. He writes uh, 60 essays on the art and craft of songwriting uh, through the eyes of these songs that he thinks are great. And, of course, they're not the songs that you think Bob Dylan uh. would think were great. All right. So you know exactly what to get the Bob Dylan fan in your life this year. Folk Music, a Bob Dylan biography and seven songs by Grail Marcus and The Philosophy of Modern Song by the man himself, Bob Dylan. And, Tim, back to you. Uh, this book just came out on Tuesday, so full disclaimer, I've not had a chance to read the entire thing. The Lego Story, How a Little Toy Sparked the World's Imagination by Jens Anderson. Uh, Jens Anderson is a Danish writer. It was translated by Carolyn White. And he, he specifically says this is not a business book. This is a cultural history mm. and a biography of the Danish family that started Lego. Um, it's in its fourth generation now. And the book is divided by decades. And you start in the 30s when it was a carpentry business and a little making wooden toys. And and the big transformation after World War II when they go into plastics. And, you know, I had no idea they sold so many 80 to 90 million 
Lego sets every year go out to kids with with ten million adults buying. I was going to say, and adults too. So, <laughs> so I mean, it's ch- he had access to the family and the archives. It is filled with photos, advertisements, you know, uh, blueprints for toys. I mean, if you are a Lego nut, you must have this book. And if you're not, you will be after reading it because you you just keep imagining your own childhood as you read through it. So it, it's a wonderful read so far. Nice, so. nice. The Lego story: How a little toy sparked the world's imagination by Jens Anderson. You want to do another one, Tim, since I let Jan do two? I'll do a real quick one because this is a this is a photo book, so I can't really talk about it too much, called The Only Woman. And it's by Emmy Humes, who is an Oscar-nominated documentary filmmaker. And she just started looking through photos where you'd have these big group photos and there'd be one woman in them. And it goes from 1860 to 2020. The one in 2020 is the single girl football player on a high school football team. In 1860, it was probably the wife of some graduate of some university. Often they're there as tokens. Sometimes they're there as trailblazers. Uh, They are not in any chronological order, but in the back of the book, they do put them in a chronological order so you can look at that. But they are fascinating. There's a little essay that goes along with them. If the people are still alive, they interview them for this, and it is an (laughs) eye-opener, let me tell you. I just – for one example, in a Navy training station, there is a woman putting on a deep-sea scuba diving, and around her are four white guys all looking at her with such disgust and envy – because she said, I was the only one of them who wasn't claustrophobic, and I could do this, and they couldn't, and they couldn't understand how a woman could do this when they could not. Wow. So it's those, for the for the young woman f- feminist in your life, or the older woman who would like to look back on some of this. Or any man who needs his eyes open. Exactly, like. exactly. <laughs> they, are, they are fascinating photos. All right. Oh, that sounds amazing. The Only Woman by Emmy Humes. And Rachel, what's next on your list? Okay, so for the single person in your life, I recommend the book I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans and Other Romantic Observations by Ginny Hogan. The (laughs) title of the collection is definitely unique, um, and it comes from an experiment that this comedian did where they literally set up a dating profile for a plate of refried beans and tracked the responses that that got. Uh, This humor collection has funny quizzes and short stories. It's irreverent and absolutely not safe for work. Um, there's titles with pieces uh, pieces of like uh, out of office replies for dating apps. I've been married for years and I even found this book hilarious, but it is definitely an insight into the scope of modern uh, romantic disasters. Wow. Highly recommend. All right. I'm more dateable than a plate of refried beans and other romantic observations by Ginny Hogan. And you give us your your last one briefly as well, Rachel. Okay, perfect. And this one will be easy to do because you've probably already heard about it on TikTok a zillion times. Or even on NPR as well, by the way. Or even on NPR. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I'm always highly skeptical about books with lots of buzz, but I, I was so glad to read this one. It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. It takes you inside the life of a child star of iCarly, which is a Nickelodeon show. Now, I never watched the show, so that was one reason I was like, eh, well, I like this memoir. It was, I I could not put this down. This is a book that I finished in one day, two sittings, I think. Um, It's full of dark humor and candor about the calorie restriction that she had to go through, anxiety, addiction. And most celebrity memoirs really read flat for me, but McCurdy's voice makes this story of resilience absolutely unputdownable. 
All right. I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. And Jan, back to you. Can you tell me about one in about a minute? Lightning round. Uh, Well, if it's lightning round, I better not do the one about the philosophers in Germany in the 1790s. I will do (laughs) Paul Newman's biography. All right. (laughs) Um, Which uh, which, uh, was based on some... Uh, he he had a biographer and he did all who did all these interviews with both Paul Newman and all the people in his life and then Paul Newman decided that all those cassettes had to be burned and uh, and then after he died and the biographer died his daughters found the, the transcripts of the tapes and they put this together and so what it is is it's interviews with Newman and it's interviews with all these people that were around him and the title is the extraordinary life of an ordinary man because he never felt that he was extraordinary at all, which is possibly what makes him extraordinary. It's it's funny. You know, I don't usually ever read biographies of movie stars, but um, but I like this one. All right. The <laughs> Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man, Paul Newman. And Tim, that gives you the last word today in one minute. Uh, National Geographic has come out with this a Birding Basics book, Tips, Tools, and Techniques for Great Bird Watching by Noah Stryker. It tells you everything from where to go to look for birds, when they're migrating, how to use eBirds and bird apps, what binoculars are best, what gear to wear, how to get young people excited. It, it's not a field guide. It's just a guide to help you be the best bird watcher you can be. So awesome. build up on that 2020 pandemic bird watching you started <laughs> and take it one step further. It's a pretty exciting book to look through. Lots right. of great photos. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> National Geographic Birding Basics, Tips, Tools, and Techniques for Great Bird Watching by Noah Stryker. Tim Bud, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And Jan Weissmiller, thank you so much. Thank you. And Rachel Manson McKenney, <laughs> thank you. You did a fabulous job. It was a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Rachel Mans McKenney. She is the author of The Butterfly Effect and a voracious reader, Jan Weissmiller and Tim Budd of Prairie Lights Bookstore. And we will be talking about books for kids, the best new books for kids on Wednesday on Talk of Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe.